The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Good morning, and welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf, and we're joined by James Brenza. Today, we're going to talk about analytics. James has been with us before, and so we're going to elaborate further on how to be effective in analytics programs. James is the Vice President of Data and Analytics at Pillar Technology, where he's expanded their analytics practice to embrace big data, predictive analytics, and rich visualization trends. Additionally, James is a board member and chief data officer in Insight Health. The goal of this Voice America series is to provide information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organization in the dynamic times that we're facing. So what we really hope to do is provide you tools to apply within your own organization and your own lives to be more effective and to feel more successful. In addition to sharing models and experiences, we invite you to find one or two things in these shows each week that you can actually concretely apply. So think about as you're listening, what is James talking about that will, that you can translate into your own life and test out. So thinking of the, the leader of the future is also very aligned with the behaviors of a scientist. What do I hear that seems like it would apply and how do I experiment with those new behaviors or those new ideas in ways that will allow me to continue to grow my leadership skills just like I'm continuing to improve in other ways. So the outcome for today, analytics is a hot topic in many different organizations. It can be a significant differentiator for organizational success when implemented in alignment with organizational strategy by leaders who are skilled enough to navigate the volume of change and the types of that these types of projects create. When done poorly, it wastes precious time and money. If you listen to Julie Annexter talk about innovation, she also suggested that successful innovation relies heavily on analytics. And specifically, if we think about innovation place, being placing a series of strategic bets, then how do I know which bet to put how much money on? So if I were uh, playing blackjack, I would know that if I had 11 cards that totaled to 11, I would be thinking about the probability of getting a 10, so I'd hit 21. Certainly in running a business and looking at how do I uh, allocate funds to different initiatives, 
I would want significantly more data than I do playing blackjack. So analytics is, is a tool that will help us determine where to allocate our precious investment money to increase the high or to produce the highest probability of success. James and I wrote the Innovative Leader's Guide to Implementing Analytics Programs. I think the world of him. He's a highly skilled leader in the space of analytics, and he is also an incredibly competent leader. So, so he has those rare set of combination of qualities of deep technical skills and also the interpersonal skills that allows him to, to engage in this complex world. So James, why don't you introduce yourself and step us into what you want to talk about the foundation of, of analytics. Thanks, Maureen. It's great to be here again. I appreciate taking the time and always appreciate spending time with you as well. My background's been predominantly in Fortune 50 companies. Um, worked in retail, I've worked in the heavy industrials, I've worked in banking, I've worked in insurance, um, consulted in pharmaceuticals, consulted in distribution. So it's a very, very broad breadth, um, a tremendous amount in the financial services industry in particular. My academic background, education to support all that is three different degrees, a degree in IT, a degree in finance, and an MBA. So I come at things from a very, very quantitative perspective, mm -hmm. a very logical. But as you've mentioned, I also try to pay attention to the interpersonal relationship side to understand what is and isn't working for the teams to help them advance. In our prior discussion, we talked quite a bit about how to try to get um, analytic programs off the ground, um, mm -hmm. some of the successes and failures, and we've written and published some papers along those lines as well. I think today what I want to try to do is maybe get a little bit more tactical, try to help people understand how to really get out of the starting blocks. Um, I continue to encounter situations where programs are just not getting started effectively. So I think that's a great focus for the day and okay. try to help us head down that direction. Perfect. So analytics continues to draw a lot of attention. I hear of it being applied to fraud, healthcare outcomes, financial markets, and business optimization, to name a few. I understand that you've been around a lot of analytics initiatives. What are the keys to success? It's a, a deep question, actually. Um, when you start looking at what drives success and failures, what I find fascinating is frequently it's blamed on the technology layers. Mm -hmm. We don't have this, the system can't do that, that technical team over there won't produce X, Y, or Z. Yes, it's always those guys and their <laughs> fault. Um, but what I find interesting is my observations having been around a lot of both failure, failed initiatives or initiatives mm -hmm. that couldn't leave the starting blocks as well as tremendous successes um, one recently that hit over 10,000% return on investment in just a matter of months. It's not the technology layers, actually, that are the problem. Um, from what I've been seeing, it comes down to the two primary factors, which is vision. Mm -hmm. do, does the firm or do the leaders have a strong vision on what they fundamentally want to accomplish? Not a prescriptive path on how to get there, but do they have a firm vision? So this means I can't just go implement analytics because I read about it in the Harvard Business Review? Yeah, HBR is a fantastic journal. Um, it's not always very prescriptive. <laughs> and I hear it time and again, and I try not to laugh when I hear it, but people are like, well, we have all of this data. There's got to be something in there. Please just go analyze it and go give us it. the answer. You have to start with some sort of end in mind. You have to regress against an objective to try to determine our target or objective, to try to determine what are the key variables that are driving that particular outcome. So is this 
Is it accurate to say this would then be an enabler to my key strategic objectives? Well, absolutely, and that's actually the best place to start. So if a firm has identified their key strategic objectives and they've wrapped key performance indicators around it, mm -hmm. now you have a very specific target that is directly linked to the outcome you want. Now you've got something very, very specific to go mine and understand how to transition towards that future. So again, that covers the vision aspect of it, but the second part is the leadership. I see a tremendous number of initiatives that are dying or withering just because of a lack of leadership. Leadership that is supportive, leadership that understands it's an evolutionary process, leadership that actually understands how to support the team because the team gets frustrated. Again, it's an evolutionary process. You're not going to get to the grand conclusion in one month or two months, <laughs> possibly even one year, depending upon the breadth of the initiative. You have to be patient. You have to be encouraging. You have to continue to get the team to go down that path and help them grow through that process. So let's then talk about some of the visionary leadership. Are there specific key, uh, specific keys leaders can use to lead towards successful outcomes in their organizations? I think there is. And again, I can be biased having both an MBA and a finance degree. Well, and, and you know that we've written a leadership book together, so <laughs> this is obviously a leading question. <laughs> yeah, it's nice a place. <laughs> I, in my humble opinion, what it really comes down to is take a few steps back and realize that every business runs on numbers, mm -hmm. period. Even as a people-based business, it runs on numbers. Yes, a hospital is all about health care and health outcomes. The reality is there is a C-suite that is running it by the numbers. And often reporting to a board who is looking at the numbers. Exactly. So for a leader to be effective, I have found you need to speak in their language. Great. We're going to do all this amazing statistical stuff. We're going to do all of this really cool data stuff. We're going to work with some really right brain people and come up with some astounding visualizations. The reality is to get it to resonate with the C-suite, you need to speak to it in numbers. You have to speak to their heart to get their minds. Well, and this would be true even as we expand the definition of stakeholder and effective, right? I still need numbers. So press Ganey scores for client satisfaction and, and other numbers. Absolutely. So it's not just the final outcome numbers. It's the numbers that lead to that, because once you establish what the key variables are you want to try, con try to control in the future, mm -hmm. you need to have methods to control those numbers. They're going to look for how are you controlling those numbers. Mm -hmm. So what I've been focusing on of late is how do we try to break it down and make it even more tractionable? And I've come up with three main categories that if teams would focus in on these three categories, they could actually start to get more acceleration they'll get the hearts and the minds of the executives mm -hmm. and then get the support they need to make progress. And it's really quite simple. It pours pretty much directly from an income statement. Okay. You need to look for opportunities that are increased revenue or look for opportunities that are going to decrease your direct costs or look for opportunities that decrease your indirect costs. The other secret I've come up with, though, is as you look at the income statement, and usually not just the public one, the internal one that has a mm -hmm. bit more depth on it, is sort out the major categories on the income statement, biggest numbers first. So sort them descending. So biggest opportunity. Right. So when you go to talk to CFO, if you're looking at something that is 1% of the cost of the operation, you're probably not going to get as undivided attention. <laughs> if you're talking about the item at the top of the income statement and the expense portion of it, 
that is 60% of their operating costs. And you come up with an idea that will reduce that by 10%. Now you have his undivided attention. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How non-inclusive of me. (laughs) So it really is critical that you understand how to work through the numbers, Mm -hmm. but then also how you look at the numbers and how you prioritize your thinking to help get them aligned. Ultimately, once they're aligned, you'll get all the runway you need. Mm I ran into that in, in basic um, business process reengineering work, right? mm-hmm. that we, we get resources if we think we're going to produce a significant return. Correct. If we're doing something that's just nice to do, the organization often can't find the resources to do it. Exactly. So you have to speak to the major categories of their interest and then go to the biggest mm-hmm. numbers within those categories. Then you're going to make a big difference for the firm. Indirect costs might be the only other area that varies from that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You need to go after a big bucket of it, but then you don't want to take it away one bite at a time. You usually go after the entire bucket and just be done with it. Interesting. I'm assuming this is also true, say I'm in an organization like a hospital and my patient satisfaction scores are dismal. I could use a similar approach, big bucket, dismal scores, funding impacted by dismal scores, I can focus on that just like I would focus on increasing revenue. Absolutely. You dig into the areas with the most dismal scores. Okay. You go after the worst first, Mm -hmm. dig deeper on those, try to find the key variables that are driving in that Mm -hmm. particular group. Mm -hmm. You try to slice it as thinly as possible. You can't turn around a 5,000 bed hospital in an instant, but you can go after one department in one segment of that department that's in the worst shape and turn that around and build it up. Then you can also leverage that to other areas. So that's, again, back to our basics of change management, quick wins. Mm -hmm. What's the highest return, least effort? There you go. Highest return, least effort, because you have to keep in mind, by the numbers, C-suite and boards, they're going by the quarter. Mm-hmm. Certainly for public firms, mm-hmm. but frankly, even for nonprofits, many times it's all about what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I have to fund the project with savings mm-hmm. in many cases because I don't have an extra pot of gold sitting in my office. Well, that's actually one of the tricks to doing this effectively is once you start generating savings, you're encouraging them to reinvest the savings. So we got you this far in your initial investment. Mm-hmm. We've just saved you X. Now let's take a fraction of X and reinvest it to get you even further. Once it becomes self-supporting and sustaining, mm-hmm. you can go a whole lot further. Okay. So increasing revenue is certainly something nearly every organization would like to do. What are the key areas a leader can explore? So as a leader works through the numbers and helps position what the entire organization wants to accomplish, I think one of the first areas is how can you extend your services to underserved customers or consumers? This is a trick in analytics if you start segmenting your user base to understand Mm -hmm. which groups of your consumers or your customers are using which services and then how can you analyze that and say well geez this other group over here is a parallel they're mm-hmm. not experiencing the same level level of utilization or licensing mm-hmm. or whatever you know the, the major revenue generator is there's a variable in there somewhere why is this group not behaving like that group or this one group gets tremendous utilization, and yet some other groups aren't engaging it very much. What feature am I missing? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not okay. how am I approaching them to make them more aware of what they can do, but what feature set is missing that's preventing them from getting the same amount of value. Mm-hmm. 
So extending that to your underserved consumers, I think is step one. Um, we've been through some engagements where that ends up coming up on an executive dashboard. And you look at it either globally or just nationally. Mm -hmm. And you can come up with some really interesting and uh, simple visualizations mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. are just insanely intuitive that you can start just looking nationwide and drill into the underserved states or underserved zip codes for that matter and start drilling down to understand which group is it. So I want to in interrupt to ask a clarifying question. Mm -hmm. We talk about visualization and you know what that means and I know what that means, but I'm not sure everyone listening has had enough experience with analytics to have a good image of, of that. Thanks for the opportunity to clarify. So one of the tricks to business intelligence, which is based heavily on visualizations, um, it's a method of bringing up a lot of data and making it very, very intuitive. A lot of times, especially in the finance organization, they will dump grids of numbers at you. Mm -hmm. um, one organization, literally their quarterly report to the executive team went out as a book, about 140 pages long, of just grids of numbers. And you're expected to magically consume that information and understand where the nugget is on the different pages. And I've dealt with people in finance organizations that said their mission is to teach the executives how to read those pages more effectively. <laughs> Rather than I look at it a little bit differently. <laughs> exactly. In a way that's easy to consume. How can we make it visual bars and charts? I jokingly say, and it's not in an insulting way, but executives understand colors and shapes. And it's incumbent on your team to give them things that are just that simple. Mm -hmm. What is it you put on the page that draws their eye to exactly the good areas and exactly the bad mm -hmm. areas mm -hmm. and helps them differentiate between the two very, very quickly? That is the art of good visualizations, of separating the wheat from the chaff. And, and truthfully, you use the word art as in we go to art schools now to attract people to create good visualizations. Absolutely. I've been dealing um, with some early career people of late, and they're struggling. Sometimes it's their parents saying, hey, can you go talk to my kid, <laughs> by the way? Um, those degrees are fantastic in this arena. They mm -hmm. may not be math-oriented people, but they're so oriented to the right side of the brain. They know what clicks. They know what attracts attention. They have that natural tendency to understand the use of color, shape, size, visual textures, and so on and so forth that will draw the attention necessary unlike the left brain people who are generating statistics we'll talk and about charts. variables we'll talk about coefficients we'll talk about p-values all day long and we'll dump them into a beautiful table and let you try <laughs> to understand what they mean not so much so, so i realized that was a diversion and beautifully explained that it, it is the the intersection of data and visualization that really creates the value for many people. It's Correct. the insights it produces, not the numbers on the table. Mm -hmm. So with the thought of insights, using data and visualization to help me run my business, let's move into break. This is Maureen Metcalf and James Brenza, innovative leaders driving thriving organizations talking about analytics. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf with our guest, James Brenza, talking about how to use analytics to produce business insights. Right now, we're focusing on how to use them to increase revenue. So one of the next areas I look at typically around increasing revenue is how can you extend your products or services to adjacent areas? That starts with understanding the primary uses of your products and services. As simple as that may sound, you'd be a little surprised how many groups I've talked to of late that don't actually understand exactly where their products are going or the really? major customers. Absolutely shocking, yes. Um, one organization is not even landing their web logs to understand which pages and which content is most popular, which pretty much blows me away because if we talk then about extending to other consumer bases, you need to understand which parts are the most popular, which parts have the most utility for mm-hmm. your typical user base, to then understand how can I extend that utility to other customers or what other consumer bases need that same utility. So it's a function of taking it out to other audiences, but that starts with knowing exactly what you have and how it's being utilized to then start becoming really creative on how you can very quickly and simply extend it to others. Another area is price optimization. Price optimization is one of the hottest areas in analytics in particular. Um, It requires first deep segmentation. So you have to have a lot of very clean data. You have to have a clear picture of who your customers are, your products or your services by starting to slice out which groups use those similarly. And I'm not talking the exact same customer base, which customer looks just like this customer. It's based upon who uses your products or services in a similar way. They could be in completely disparate entities completely disparate types of companies 
but the reality is they have the same usage patterns and it's the patterns that we're looking for with analytics once you start to tease that out and again then play it up visually we're not going to dump a table of statistics in front of people we'll show them the consistency perhaps by time of day for utilization it could be geographically based it could be the types of searches or the types of products they're looking at. It could be a broad range of how they're looking at it. Mm -hmm. But to understand the usage, the frequency, the location, you can start to tease out where are people using it differently. Once you understand who's using it differently, now you can look at tiering your prices. You can offer lower tiers to lower end users to invite them in. You can offer introductory pricing tiers. But also for people that are doing a lot of use of the system or a lot of use of different products, you can look at price bundling, if you will. So here's a feature set for one set price that gives you access to a tremendous amount of stuff. So almost airline premium. I'm a gold member on an airline. That means I get the extra service of a free bag, early seating. They don't charge me necessarily for that. But I've probably, because of the frequency of my travel, I'm probably also booking late, paying higher prices. So in essence, they have captured and analyzed that and determined when prices shift. Absolutely. Southwest is the classic model on that. Um, I've been flying Southwest quite a bit of late, where it's take a, <laughs> check a bag for free. Um, very friendly as far as changing your flights. Mm -hmm. They've done the analysis and mm -hmm. they realized and now it's being proven out in their financials are one of the better performing airlines is really proving out in the numbers that that's a very, very effective business model. So the last area then is blending your products and services. So how can we make that a blended experience? This applies especially to heavy industrial manufacturers. How can we provide our product but then help our customer have a better overall service experience? So by embedding sensors, this starts broaching now an Internet of Things. How can I embed sensors in my product that help me understand how it's performing and help me understand as a provider of the product how I can help the customer keep it better maintained so they have less downtime? So I could do this with my renovated kitchen, monitoring when, when items come on and off. Exactly. When they're going to require maintenance, how much energy it's consuming. Mm -hmm. Things as simple, for, especially for household energy demand, things as simple as not letting the refrigerator cycle for cooling at the same time the oven is baking. So if they're communicating with each other, they can start to offset. If it's a piece of industrial equipment, how often <clears throat> is that? How often is that truck running up and down the aisles or that particular route? Mm, okay. To understand the maintenance of that truck, is it starting to overheat? Things like that to get the preventive maintenance in. The customer will have a better product or better quality product and a better product experience if it's more reliable. So back to airlines, if they're tracking the, the actual wear on a, uh, an engine, then they are more likely to do the preventive maintenance at the right time, which also means not too early and too expensive that they're maintaining too often, but also not pushing it until I'm sitting on a runway waiting for my plane to take off. Absolutely. And then you enter the key extension. How can I provide those analytics in that service level as a tool to the customer as well? So now I'm not just giving them a product, I'm giving them analytics as a service around that product. To the airline engine, helping them understand what's going on with engine utilization, I can start slicing it out by the airframe or the plane itself, mm -hmm. or I can slice it by the crew. I can correlate it back to who's in the, in the crew or the cabin at the time 
and perhaps overthrusting the engines on a regular basis, which deteriorates long-term performance, also increases the airline's fuel consumption. So you can start to pull those types of analytics back and provide that to the airline as a mm -hmm. service as well. This would apply to any type of piece of industrial equipment to help them understand what's going on in their environment. Seems like it could be then a significant cost saver, one learning for your team, but driving costs down because I'm performing maintenance, pulling equipment out of service at the right time. So again, extending in some cases and also limiting downtime impact. Absolutely. You can limit your expense on maintaining the equipment if you're offering service contracts or support warranty contracts, if you will, on the equipment. You can increase your revenues, but you can help your customer decrease their expenses. And that's where you really get into those major wins that are crossing segments. So that leads us into the next question, which is decreasing costs also seems vital for everyone. All the clients I'm working with right now are have some mix of I need to increase my revenue, decrease my cost, maintain profitability, or drive it up. Uh, what are the key areas a leader can explore in this area using an analytics and insights? The key area there um, I focus on first is usually material utilization, um, especially for cost optimization of the materials. Now granted, that's if you're producing a physical good. If you're a service organization, your main cost is obviously people, generally speaking. But understanding how your material cost is flowing by time of day, by location, um, if it's all labor-based, how is it flowing by labor category? What are your most expensive areas? How do you use them more efficiently and effectively? How do you look at lower cost pools? How do you understand how I grow people from a lower cost pool up to a higher level of service and draw that up? Obviously fairly because mm -hmm. they deserve more compensation over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But as a company, you'll have a lower cost structure overall if you understand how that flows. Another great example is leveraging fixed assets. Um, this is a key trick, especially for large heavy manufacturers. Once you get into a lot of fixed assets, whether it's a fleet of trucks, a series of buildings, a ton of machinery in a particular plant, how can I use them in more ways? Mm -hmm. How can I open up additional product lines, understand my most used machines, my most flexible machines? There's times you want to make a major investment in a piece of machinery because it has more capability, but if it's being, in its current state, being used relatively low utilization or little mm -hmm. utilization, how can I get more out of that? Now, it's a different game, obviously, if you're looking at mm -hmm. constraints. If it's the main constrained mm -hmm. machine, I don't want to try to run more through it because it's the primary constraint in my plant. It is shocking, the number of organizations that don't understand which is the most constrained area in their shop. Really? It was one of the old tricks around theory of constraints. Um, for me, like Goldrat, is walk into the shop and look for the stacks of inventory. And um, this is 20 years ago <laughs> that we both read this book. <laughs> yes. It is still surprising how okay. a lot of people aren't applying some of the simplest of all principles. Okay. It's becoming a bit more difficult in the service-oriented economy because now you're looking for where's the stack of work. Mm -hmm. It used to be look for the biggest stack of paper, and you'll understand where your bottleneck is. Now I look for the most haggard employee. <laughs> most haggard employee, <laughs> or you implement a workflow system and look at which queues are backed up the mm -hmm. most, which queues have the longest processing time, which mm -hmm. queues have the longest wait time until they can be processed. Mm -hmm. Digging and understanding that data is relatively simple once you have that system foundation. Many organizations aren't implementing the system foundation first mm -hmm. to understand how to even manage that. Okay. And that's a key element. It's back to the, the 
foundation of effective industrial mm -hmm. techniques to pull it forward into the service economy. Another major area of opportunity then is contract renewal. So anytime you come forward or come uh, start approaching a period to renew a contract, renegotiate a contract, if you don't understand prior utilization, you're leaving so much money on the table. You could be looking for more effective price points. You could be looking for a different clustering of products and services from that vendor. Um, reach out to the vendor and have the discussion with them if they're providing a good or service. How could they couple that physical good with more service for you as well? So, so that if I'm buying an engine from GE and I'm an airline, buying both the, the engine parts to build the plane or buying the plane and buying the insights about maintenance gives me more value than just buying a really Absolutely. solid engine. Absolutely. And negotiating that as part of your next round on contracts is mm -hmm. your key moment to do that. Okay. If you're a distributor, as you're negotiating price points to understand very, very precisely what's going on with your distribution of their product, if you're talking to the vendor mm -hmm. negotiation mm -hmm. side, to understand when you should be upping on inventory. So you have to understand your utilization trends mm -hmm. and their shipping trends. That's also prime time to use information about their delivery capability. How reliable are they from a delivery mm -hmm. capability perspective? Mm -hmm. That's a good time to make that part of the conversation is how they need to up their game to help you. Having worked in the steel industry, not ha well, in, in any large manufacturing, if I don't have the inputs, I don't run and my customers don't get their product and I pay liquidated damages. So my supplier's shipment on time rate is crucial mm -hmm. to my organization's success. So tracking that, it, it does seem that we, we assess damages during the contract, but then might prefer a, a vendor who is more on time and actually pay an increase or premium. Absolutely. If we all win together, we all lose together mm -hmm. fundamentally. Yeah. So understanding the supply chain or the value stream mm -hmm. of the good mm -hmm. of the service and then working um, transparently mm -hmm. with the vendors to understand how we're all mm -hmm. going to win together and be more effective together. Mm -hmm. So this also looks like it would has the possibility or opportunity to completely change my vendor relationship. I'm not hammering you to get more more money, but rather I'm trying to find a way that we both win without um, me being disadvantaged. Correct. It's that opportunity to make it a deeper partnership. Mm -hmm. I prefer to do it with a lot of data on the table mm -hmm. and the transparency, without a doubt. So the last area I typically look at is fraud detection and prevention. Um, this is an area that, depending upon the industry you're in, you can have massive payback. Um, this is the area where I've actually experienced the biggest return on investments. Um, okay. One system nearly paid for itself the day upon implementation um, and had an 800% return on investment at the end of the first year. Uh, we had another solution recently we worked on that had over a 10,000% return on investment. Um, most of that recouped immediately upon implementation. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's pretty astounding. And it is shocking how many people aren't looking for those utilization trends and understanding exactly what's going on and how their goods and services are being used to find those missing opportunities. Where is the leakage occurring? Okay. Um, find it, identify it, understand who it is, and then drill into it very, very quickly. Sometimes companies are hesitant to go after that customer. It's difficult to have a robust customer relationship when you find out they're actually not being open and honest. 
So sometimes it ends up not going after them for the full amount to recoup exactly what's been lost, but to reset the relationship on a different basis. It's not always pure fraud. Sometimes they just don't realize what's been happening mm -hmm. inside their own four walls mm -hmm. or across their customer base. So you want to be careful with how you treat it, but you can absolutely remedy the leakage. It makes sense. We I worked early in my career with contract reconciliation, and, and often the people doing the billing for very complex products and services, those bundles, didn't understand what they were billing and just billed wrong. Mm -hmm. It can look like fraud. And in some cases, it was just lack of education. So I wouldn't go after that vendor for inappropriate billing like I would for Medicare fraud, where we know that here's the code and you're, you're overtly and purposefully exactly. billing improperly. So this seems like a good time to take a break and then we'll come back to talk about indirect costs. So this is Maureen Metcalf with James Brenza, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And we're talking about how to derive insights from data to help your business be more effective. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf and James Brenza. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're talking about how to use analytics to produce insights that drive business value. And we've talked about 
increasing revenue, decreasing direct costs. Now we'll go to decreasing indirect costs. So when a leader starts looking at in decreasing the indirect costs, what we're looking at are things that are not directly aligned with providing the primary good or service the firm supports. GNA. SGNA, exactly. Sales, general, administrative expense. This is an area where you can start looking to leverage, to understand where are the bulk of your administrative expenses, mm -hmm. which departments, which support services, what are other methods of using them? What groups are overrunning, underrunning compared mm -hmm. to the groups that are using a lot of administrative services versus the ones that aren't? And how can you pull ideas from one group to the other? So this might be where I track my information and compare it to a service that's aggregated GNA costs across my industry. Exactly. You can also look for outsourcing opportunities, um, mm -hmm. especially for administrative type functions. Um, very easy to do. But the key thing is to understand which administrative functions that drive your business nuts. Mm -hmm. So which ones are the ones that are just out of control? And is there a more effective benchmark or more effective firm you can go to? So, so the idea of comparing industry data is gets me that benchmark information. Absolutely. Another key area then is process optimization. Good old lean principles. Mm -hmm. Again, originally applied to manufacturing to understand the tack time on a service. So if you're, the job in your company is to bring information in, transform it a different way, and make it available via a multitude of online services, even mobile services mm -hmm. as well, what is your time from bringing the, the product or data in until mm -hmm. you get it out and available? If that's your major operating lever is that time and that service revenue, mm -hmm. what are you doing to minimize the time to get it from point A to point C so it starts earning revenue? What are the areas analyzing? What are the areas that are drilling out or just draining you of that revenue opportunity? Or are the costliest to do that transformation from raw information to usable information? So, so understanding also, those parameters. So, so an example would be how quickly I close the books. Only if closing the books is a revenue generator. Got it. Okay. So that's a great question because fundamentally some organizations have chased that and to close the books mm -hmm. two days earlier saves you exactly what? Are you going to have those financial professionals doing something different with those two extra days that okay. is going to generate extra revenue elsewhere or decrease other costs somewhere else? Yes, getting your information sooner mm -hmm. after a financial period is key. But what's more key is what you can do with those resources instead. So I use the data to course cor correct my business and I redeploy the financial people to work with the business leaders to drive additional value. Exactly. Okay. One final area to hit upon then is information management. So being the analytics geek that I am, high quality data is what's driving organizations more and more in the future. Mm -hmm. Organizations have so much cost leakage because they're not properly managing their data. They're not retaining the right parts of data. They're not understanding the key data elements they are retaining. They're not applying them consistently. They're actually losing money by A, letting all the stuff go, but B, by not having effective tools to help them manage that, harness that, and use that. So that's a key area of pure indirect cost where it seems counterintuitive. Sometimes spending a little bit more to get people that have the specialized skills, spend a little bit more to get slightly specialized products in that help make that job easier. Mm -hmm. It's a key way of ultimately saving money because now you just enabled all those other analytic ideas I threw out there. So what I've just thrown out is about 12 different approaches on how you can apply analytics to making a big difference for your business. The one thing I want to emphasize 
is you have to start by sorting them to the biggest first. Mm -hmm. Again, work through the income statement, understand what the biggest pieces of expense or revenue are. Look for those biggest opportunities and focus on those, laser point focus on mm -hmm. just those areas first. And the other key thing then, if you're gonna take it to the C-suite, is making sure you understand how is it aligned to the business strategy. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of sense in grabbing some small piece off of SGNA, administrative expense, mm -hmm. that isn't a core part of their strategy and isn't even a big number, it's just a blip somewhere in the business. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get a lot of love for fixing that. <laughs> so go focus on what's going to help their business grow and deliver products and services more effectively. For the analytic leader, they obviously need to focus on the analytics. They need to understand how to navigate these numbers. The leader has to be well-rounded. The leader has to understand both what is core to the business strategy, what is core to optimization and effective delivery of that mm -hmm. strategy, understand the primary market segments. It's incumbent on the leader, who at least sets the vision and supports mm -hmm. the vision, to understand those elements. But it's also important for the leader to understand how to support their team. It's not okay. all just on the leader for full execution. It's about that team as well. So I'm going to circle back for just a second before we focus more on leader, again thinking about our innovation conversations. So if I'm trying to drive innovation, I may look at increasing revenue as my primary innovation focus. I would then, if I say I want to extend a product line across a broader range of customers, we, we place bets on what that will look like. I gather data so that in fact, in a, innovation is a partner with analytics once we've determined from our strategic plan where to focus our our efforts mm -hmm. so now then let's go back to the idea of leadership and we talk about leaders being well-rounded and yet most of what we've talked about in analytics is more of a financial or anal analysis or statistical focus so help me understand how, what it seems like they have to have those strong skills more than they need the people skills. I'm not sure I agree with that. The people hmm. skills are what matter the most, uh, quite honestly. So again, you have to speak in terms of numbers to capture the hearts and minds of the C-suite um, and the board. But the reality is the leader has to focus on how to bring out the best and all of the people around them. Okay. You have to be mindful that ultimately the answer needs to be expressed quantitatively and basically the business numbers cash, if you will, to the business and then preferably visually so people can understand very, very intuitively how this is going to make a difference. But the reality is, as the leader, you don't have to be the financial expert. You don't have to be the visual expert. You don't need to be the statistical expert. You need to be the motivation expert who can draw out the best in mm -hmm. your entire team mm -hmm. and then have those team members help solve those pieces of the puzzle and bring it forward. So, so I would argue they don't really need to be a financial expert. But as I pointed out before, the financial people are absolutely key. And I really rely heavily on financial people because of their insane attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Insane in a very honorable way. <laughs> <laughs> Myopic, shall we say, attention to detail. But it's a beautiful thing. But when you think about leader qualities, and I'm gonna bounce mm -hmm. it back to you, Maureen, because you have a ton more expertise in this. What do you think we should be looking at? Mm -hmm. In this case, selfishly from the financial team to help us all get to a more effective outcome. What are those leadership qualities? 
you know, I want to go back to this leader 2050 or the strategist mindset competencies that we've been talking about. And it's a great way to illustrate one of the seven is the ability to f inspire followership. So this leader has the special ability to connect with people at all levels of the organization and create a shared vision. So if our vision is uh, driving increased revenue and we're looking for ways to do that, I have to connect with certainly the financial people as we're measuring, but I also have to connect with my innovation team, with my customer service team, with my sales team, and each of those are motivated by some something different. So back to your idea of being the chief motivation officer, I'm, I am doing my own analytics, stratifying each of those groups and understanding what they need from me to be as effective as possible. Some of those are going to be consistent across groups like, motive, like um, positive reinforcement and creating an engaging workplace. And others are going to be somewhat different. What my finance people want is probably slightly different than my salespeople want because they are fundamentally different personality types. And I need to attend to all of the different types to ensure they have what they need to succeed. So let me put my CFO hat on. So I'm going to go very heavily as a chief financial officer and say, okay, we want to go solve this particular area. Mm -hmm. What traits should I look for in one of my key leaders to know this is the right person who's going to help get this balanced and get this executed? Well, who should I be looking at? Specifically for that goal, I think I would look at what we're calling a 360-degree thinker. So I'm able, as that 360-degree thinker, to innately understand the systems, constraint, perceptions, near-term goals, secondary goals, secondary impacts to the business strategy on the decisions I make. And so really, I, I am looking at the business from an end-to-end -end systemic view and continuing to ask why and what will happen and what will happen and what will happen till I drive down because what we see often is something seems like a really good idea we run at it before we do that analysis and the secondary outcomes can be business hampering and in some cases dire so sometimes I'm looking at just the leader, other times I'm looking at an entire department. Mm -hmm. So I'm expecting a level of analytics or expecting a level of insights from a particular team. Sometimes it's being constrained. What should we be looking for from that team? Again, I look at the leader first, being innately collaborative, and then that collaborative leader, if we think about the mindset, the leader truly values collaboration. And if they value that, they're going to create an environment that supports collaboration. So people feel good about coming into work in the morning because they, they trust that the people they're working with will be fully supportive of their trying out new ideas. If that environment isn't fostered, then my ability to collaborate is, is going to be hampered. Just in my own self-interest and self-protection, I won't try new things, I won't be creative, unless I think that making a mistake is safe. So creating that deeply trusting, supportive environment. N not touchy-feely, some guys do it by punching each other in the shoulder, right? It's, it's, not, it's not sitting around singing kumbaya, it's knowing I do something wrong and you come by and you laugh at me and we go on. 
Okay. So we're looking for a leader then who has that broad perspective, a 360 degree person. Mm -hmm. We're looking for a team that is collaborative and innovative. If the team is struggling coming up the curve, mm -hmm. what can the leader do to try to intervene to bring that team up to the appropriate place? If we think of one of the other speakers, Jim Ritchie Dunham and his work on organizational vibrancy, that's the tool I use most often to assess where are my gaps. So, so the fact that I am also deeply tool and analytics focused, I'm going to want to assess what's going on, determine where my gap is, and then be laser focused on what do I do to address it. And that tool really looks at what agreements are we making. So often we come into the workplace, you came from GE, I came from Accenture, E and our, our engineer here is working in a, in a production environment. We probably all walked into the room to record this morning with a different set of assumptions about what a good recording looks like. Presumably Ian's the expert on that and James and I maybe not so much, right? So so we have a set of assumptions. We didn't discuss what good looks like. We all jump in and start going. And halfway through this, I may discover that you had a very different objective than I did. Absent clarifying those agreements, it is unlikely that we're going to be a highly effective team over the long run. We can get through an hour of recording. But in, in our work together as writers, we did clarify a lot of that. This is the stuff I absolutely need from you. You did the same with me. And we got a book done in record time. I can say with other people, we haven't clarified that or we haven't been able to, to perform in the same way. And the experience was not as effective. So, James, we've been talking about some of the leadership qualities. Why don't you summarize for us before we close the show? So, again, what I've seen in analytics is it's not a technology barrier. Yes, there can be technology barriers. The vast majority of the time, it is not a technology barrier. I would encourage the teams to get aligned on what's going to speak to the hearts and minds of the executive team, which is the numbers. Mm -hmm. Understand how to organize those thoughts, how to make it intuitive and strategically aligned, and then set the vision. This is the major problem we're going to solve. This is how it relates to our enterprise. And then how do we create the effective team that's going to help get that done? Make sure you get the right leader for the team. You had great points around looking for a leader with breadth of vision. And then make sure that leader gets the right team. You'll know you have the right leader when they're very dialed in to exactly how the team is progressing and the team's health. That's what becomes really the biggest thing for that leader in the long run. Thank you. Beautiful summary. So, so this show was really focusing on how do I create successful analytics initiatives, both from a data side, what, what do I go after, and from a leadership and team side. James, it's wonderful to have you as a guest. Thank you. Um, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope you were able to hear something in this show, either about the leadership qualities you demonstrate or how to apply analytics in your organization that's useful to you to carry forward over the next weeks to help you and your organization be more effective. Because that's really why we're here and I assume that's why you're listening. If you've heard anything that you would like to give us feedback on, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is info at metcalf, 
www.ashley-associates.com. We also have blog posts that are companions to these conversations, so please check out our blog. James has written several series over the, the time in, in the blog, so if you want to dig deeper on implementing analytics programs, either looking at the Innovative Leaders Workbook for Implementing Analytics Programs or the blog, there are a lot of resources available. The book is $20, so accessible and the blogs are free. We really do try to pr provide resources that will help you improve at no cost, as well as books. So again, thank you. Please give us feedback, and we hope you join us next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.